Um, we're, we're right at the end of a, a series thinking about uh, gender, about um, sex in the sense of male-female. We've been we're going about eight weeks, nine weeks, and this is, this is the last session. So after this, we're going to have a pause. There won't be Sunday school for the next at least three weeks. I can't quite remember the date. Until we tell you again, basically. So no Sunday school next week, over Easter, all the rest of it. We'll come back together next term. Let me pray, and then we'll, we'll get going. Lord Jesus, we, we want to be faithful disciples. Uh, and we know that means looking to you in all things. And uh, we praise you that you're, you're our saviour, that you've done everything for us, so we can rest in you safe and secure despite our sin uh, despite our uh, the unbelief that remains despite our wandering hearts you are a greater savior uh, and so we pray now that uh, you would continue to, to save us continue to um, shape us into the people we're called to be uh, and we ask for for wisdom for, for grace for patience for humility uh, and most of all uh, a humble spirit um, before your word Help us to be men and women um, who honour you in our callings, we ask in your name. Amen. Okay. So, um, these last couple of weeks, we, we've been trying to focus in a little bit, having swept through the Bible and looked at some of the classic debates about, you know, church leadership or marriage or whatever. We've been trying to draw some strands together, some themes together, focusing on the particular um, callings, the particularities of being male and female. And today, in essence, what, what I want to try and, with some hesitation, do um, is give something of an answer to that question. Mummy, what does it mean to be a girl? Okay, a godly girl. So maybe you're raising a daughter, and um, she comes and says, well, I, I understand what a Christian is, but what does it mean to be a, a godly girl? Now, sometimes, ironically, the answer to that question can be can be driven almost entirely by, um, uh, by, by looking at, at men instead. Okay, so even in a sort of strong feminist agenda, it, it's very often driven by looking at men and saying, well, the same as them, okay, because we're no different. There's sort of irony that it then gets being defined around, around men, even, even by sort of strongly um, feminist thinkers, theologians, all the rest of it. But to a degree, if you're, as I said last week, it's exactly the same with men, to a degree, when you're trying to say what is special about man or woman, it is necessarily going to be in distinction or contradistinction to the other gender. That's both ways. Okay, so you can't really understand what a man is without understanding what a woman is. You can't really understand what a woman is without understanding what a man is. Okay, just, because they are complementary. Uh, and so we're going to go um, one last time around the roundabout, um, back to the garden. I, what I won't be able to do this week, loads and loads and loads, is lots and lots of kind of exegesis and here, there and everywhere in the Bible because we've been trying to do that over the last eight, nine weeks. And so this is really kind of trying try to build on what we've looked at. So if something sounds totally outrageous or where's that come from, um, do, do ask, but go and listen to the last eight weeks of podcast to catch up first. Um, so let, let's go back to the Garden, Garden of Eden, and just summarise some of the things we've seen there because really it, I think it is Genesis 1 through 3 that is... Um, the most foundational uh, passage for, for understanding male and female. So, as we've seen, the, the, the creation of Eve right back at the beginning 
um, came from a need, a lack, something that was missing in creation. Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Now, I know they're f- famous words, but that really should strike us all the way through creation. It's good, it is good, it is good. Every day God saw it and it was good. And there is a genuine not goodness about the world pre-Eve. Uh, and hence, 2.18, I will make him a helper fit for him or corresponding um, to him. Uh, Eve is created as a helper. Now that tells us she wasn't there just because Adam was a bit lonely. If Adam was just lonely, God could have made a bunch of mates for him. But rather she was there because Adam on his own was unable to fulfil the tasks humanity had been given. And that remains true from all the way through the Bible. It is impossible for just men, okay, if there was some sort of weird COVID disease that wiped out um, women and left all the men alive, um, it would be impossible for men on their own to fulfil the mission of God. Okay? So when you look at that word helper, we're not meant to think um, there's the man doing the work and there's his lovely little wife with a cup of tea and a biscuit ready for him. You know, that, that's not, it is that, that he, he can't do it on his own. And so he needs someone corresponding, different, but like him. Otherwise, the the work of God is not going to go forward. Uh, Women, therefore, in exactly equal proportion to men, are essential for the glorifying of God, for his mission in the world. Uh, And helper is not, you know, spare part. I think there was a feminist journal called The Spare Rib um, back in the day, wasn't there? You know, sort of riffing on the idea that, oh, we're just, you know, Christians think we're just spare ribs because they're made out of Adam's rib. Uh, No, not spare parts. Or not as important. Um, what does it Eve bring that Adam lacked? And again, let me just note here, <laughs> I'll keep banging the drum, that we are focusing on the differences. Okay, and we're choosing to focus on the difference. There's loads in common. Okay, so um, what, what we're not trying to do today is describe all that and the only things that women are called to do. Because because we're all in the image of God, we're all called to do some things that are the same whether we're male or female. Okay, so we're obviously all called to believe in Jesus. We're all called to evangelise. We're all called to pray. We're all called to serve one another, to love one another, to teach one another, to encourage one another. All the stuff that's in common, okay, I'm just not talking about, just like we didn't with the men either. Okay, so we're trying to have a very narrow lens and focus on the differences. Uh, so in, in that light, what does Eve bring that Adam lacked? Um, in this imaging of God and fulfilling his, his role. Well, in Genesis 1, remember the whole pattern of creation, God formed the world and filled it. Um, he made the world, but it was without form, verse 2 of chapter 1, and it was empty, void. He forms and fills. So the first three days of creation, he forms the different areas, the, um, the sky and the earth, the land and the sea, um, all the rest of it. He forms the areas, and then days 4, 5, 6, he fills them. <coughs> Adam, when he was given his, his task before Eve is made, or Isha, as she is to begin with, has an orientation, we said, towards forming the earth. So he's given the, the work mandate, 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. He's meant to muck around with the, with the earth and all the stuff we looked at about his name, you know, Adam and all the rest of it. And so we might expect that Eve would have a corresponding filling orientation. Come back to that word orientation uh, later. In other words, when God tells um, Adam to fill the world, 
or tells humanity to fill the world, very obviously Adam cannot do that on his own. Um, fill the earth. So, are there indications that e- in Genesis 1 through 3 that Eve has a leaning and orientation, Eve at least, hold your horses on, kind of all women forever, but Eve, um, towards filling the world, in, terms, in, in other words, towards children, bearing, raising children? Um, yes, I think there are. Um, first of all, it's very obviously physically, God made women alone capable of bearing and then feeding and nurturing children. Okay, I'm not going to get massively biological today, but obviously the way women's bodies are set up and male bodies are set up are different. Even the whole kind of monthly rhythm um, is, is built around childbearing. There is a, a child orientation um, built into a, a female body in the way that it's not built in the same way into a male body in terms of bearing, nurturing, feeding um, children. God didn't have to do it that way. He could have he could have said it that you say a prayer and then a child pops out of nowhere, drops out of heaven or something. Or we could have been unisex. You know, he didn't have to make some men and female. But he's decided to do it this way. Okay, and we shouldn't be, we're not meant to be blind to those things. Um, nature does have something to say to us. Several times in the New Testament, Paul will say, doesn't nature tell you um, homosexual sex or lesbian sex is wrong? Or doesn't nature tell you that a man shouldn't dress like this? Or, so nature has got a message. But as we saw in, in um, an earlier part of this series, uh, there's a lot more, lot more clues in the text too. Um, Eve is made not from the ground like Adam. Adam, his name means man from the Adamar, the ground. But she's made from Adam. So her, or, her, her origin is, is already, if you like, within the family, the proto-family. It's there. She comes from another person. She's made inside the garden sanctuary. Adam was made outside. And, and perhaps most clearly, when God comes in um, chapter 3 to bring the curses now, this is something I'd, I don't know how I'd never seen this before um, it's like mildly embarrassing to admit um, having preached Genesis 3 billions of times I'd never noticed before that the curses are directed sort of sex specific as it were so Adam receives all the curses on work it's not just given to humanity in general and then Eve in, in 3.16 Sorry, three, yeah, 3.16. Eve, the curses that come to her are again, I will multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Again, childbearing is central to her, her role, her mission. And now it's going to be difficult, just like tilling the earth was central to Adam's mission. And now, well, now it's going to be difficult for him. Um, the ground curse is given to Adam. I think, well, Eve walks on the same ground, eats fruit from the same trees. Why is she not given? Well, again, it's an orientation thing. Not that Eve never did any gardening or Adam had nothing to do with kids, but just weight of, sort of direction, if you like, responsibility. And likewise, the curse for the, on the, the marriage, um, 3.16 again, is spoken to Eve. Your desire shall be, it's that kind of grasping desire, it's a, a ruining of the relationship between them. What, you know, why is the marriage curse given to Eve when obviously Adam is in the marriage as well? <coughs> just a sign that she is... Um, Again, this orientation is towards the family. Um, we even got it in the marriage. Um, interestingly, yesterday, when, no, two days ago, we were doing the, the wedding rehearsal for Jake and Tash. Um, and um, unsurprisingly, they've never got married before. So, you know, young couples don't, don't quite know how to do things. And when do I come in? When do I stand up? When do I sit down? All the rest of it. And um, they said, oh, what do we do when we're actually married? So once it's done, 
where, where do we go? Do we sit down? Do we, you know? I said, oh, you know, go, and, go and sit down, just find a couple of seats and sit together. And they said, which side? I was like, couldn't care less, but do what you want. So traditionally, you go and sit in the groom's side. And Jake said, really interestingly, huh, I thought maybe I would go over to, to Tash's side of the church, as it were, because Genesis 3.24, therefore a man shall leave his mother and father and hold fast to his wife. The direction seems to be the man leaves the father and mother and goes to the wife. Now, even though everything has told us that, that Adam will be the head of the marriage, still it seems that almost like Eve is the kind of the gravitational centre um, of the new, new family. Um, it doesn't matter where you sit in a church, by the way. But yeah. And finally, Eve's name. Um, she is named at the end of chapter 3 uh, by Adam. Again, part of his sort of headship. The man called his name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Eve is a kind of, it's a, a pun, a Hebrew pun on kind of life giver. She's a life giver because she is the mother of all the living. So even her very name is about motherhood. So here we go. Um, last week we said Adam had a, a posture towards um, leading, protecting, and providing. Here's a suggestion, a tentative suggestion. I'm not saying this is kind of, you know, the final word by any sense. Um, what about Eve? Well, I think we see she is created um, to serve God by joyfully receiving and bringing and nurturing life with that orientation towards the family. So let me try and walk through this um, because it's not just about biological children. Uh, receiving. Why receiving? Well, essentially, as I said earlier, if, if you've talked about men being told to, husbands told to lead, all the rest of it, protect, provide, then obviously who are they protecting, providing and leading? It is those particular women who are given into their care in, in the situations they're leading, protecting, providing, marriage, church, all the rest of it. And therefore, if, if Adam is told to do this, you know, provide, protect, then Eve is meant to be willing to receive those that protection, that provision, and that leadership. So it's why in marriage in the New Testament um, and the Old Testament, um, husbands and wives, you know, wives submit to your husbands. There is a, a meant to be a joyful receiving of the kind of leadership, the generous sacrificial leadership um, that Adam is giving. Um, again, that's predominantly in the family, therefore the church, okay, rather than just, um, again, I feel like I need to clarify things around again, but rather than the any man who walks into any room is just in charge. You know, it's, that's not what I'm talking about. But in the roles where there is a kind of, you know, a, a relationship, as it were, um, leading church, leading the marriage, whatever it may be, um, then there are obviously, if a man is leading, the woman is meant to joyfully, so not begrudgingly, um, but joyfully receive that lead, leadership. Uh, unless, obviously, the leadership is taken away from Christ. And given that Adam and Eve, we're told in Ephesians 5, are a picture of Christ in the church, then that makes sense, doesn't it? Because if Eve is picturing the church, what is the church meant to do from Jesus? It's meant to receive his, uh, his grace, his mercy, his leadership, um, and all the rest of it. Now, it's not exact, because husbands aren't Jesus, but there is a parallel there that Paul picks up. Um, and that sense, it's a bit like a dance, or, you know, like um, ballroom dance or something like that. Um, you know, you watch Strictly or whatever. Um, the, the, the man leads, well, these always have done. Um, the man leads the steps, doesn't he? I'm not going to try and do anything. I don't know what I'm doing there. But um, the man leads the steps, and the woman is kind of receiving the, the, the guidance. doesn't mean that the, the woman is less important in the couple um, or less significant to what school they get or anything like that. Um, it doesn't mean it's less skillful to sort of follow the lead and all the rest of it. 
it's just the way we're set up. So there's a receiving posture. They're bringing a nurturing life. Uh, we've seen in the garden Eve's call towards bearing, nurturing children. Again, our body's designed by God that way in a way that males aren't. And over the last few weeks, we've seen that common pattern of, of women in Scripture obviously bearing children, having children, and overseeing the kind of domestic environment you see in Proverbs 31. Um, and let's just look at a couple of passages. Titus 2. I'm not sure we've looked at this since week one. It's one of those passages that people just don't mind looking at. Um, Titus 2. So you get all, all of 998 if you're the church Bible. Page 998. Titus 2. And Titus is being told, Titus is this young minister, he's being told how to kind of teach different groups in the church. And even they're significant, isn't it? That he's not just told, well, they're all people, so just teach them all the same. No, you treat young men, old men, young women, you treat them all differently. We're meant to be able to distinguish. Titus 2, what are you meant to teach the young women? Well, actually, you're not Titus. Titus 2, verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behaviour, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good. There's some women doing some teaching. And so train, there's women doing training. Um, Training the young women what to do. To love their husbands and children. Okay, there's the, you know, the family environment put front and centre. To love your husband, love your children. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home. That often gets skipped over. And you hear people preaching on it. Self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands. That the word of God may be not reviled. Again, it is significant. If you don't want the gospel to be reviled, Paul says, make sure... Um, older women, that you're training young women, teaching them, particularly, verse 4 and 5, love husbands, children, submit to husbands, um, work at home. Now, it's not, when he says work at home there, it's not, um, I'm going to come back to the whole idea of having careers outside the home or something. He's not quite saying you're not allowed to be an accountant or something. Um, but what he is saying is you've got responsibility for the kind of domestic environment. It, it's literally a, it's literally a, it's a domestic despot. Um, the language underneath it. Um, it's like the, it's almost the home dictator. <laughs> I tr- slightly tremble to translate it that way, but um, that's what the, that's what the kind of language is, is saying. It's like the home ruler, the home environment in place. And just a, a page back, if you're on, oh, no, sorry, a couple of pages back. One Timothy five. Again, you get this little snapshot, this little glimpse. One Timothy five, talking about um, caring for widows. You know, when, when, when does a widow come onto the care of the church and providing for and all the rest of it? Verse 9. Let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, having a reputation for good works. Okay, what good works? If she's brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the feet, feet of the saints and cared for the afflicted and devoted herself to every good work. Again, there's, just a, a, there's a home flavour there, isn't there? Children, hospitality, um, feed of the saints, uh, and every good work. Again, I keep using the word orientation, but there just is, I think, unavoidably, I would suggest to you, an orientation towards the family environment and the home environment um, throughout Scripture that is given to the, the wife. 
and so let, let me just show, bringing a nurturing life is, is a sort of a posture thing I think um, for, for women throughout the Bible ever since Eve three environments it works out we'll do some discussion now and, and be chance for questions um, first of all family that's the most obvious isn't it okay, central foundation of everything um, what is society but a great collection of families I mean family is bedrock to God's plan bearing children is part of God's given task the first thing men and women are told you know, Adam and Eve are told go forth and multiply Many years later, right at the end of the Bible, um, <laughs> my daughter's blowing raspberries at me. I'm so kind of, <laughs> I don't know if that's a common on the, uh, <laughs> on the um, right at the end of the Bible, Old Testament, Malachi. Um, Malachi's explaining, why, why did God make marriage? And I, when you do marriage prep, often, especially if you ask sort of well-taught Christians, oh, it's a picture of Christ in the church, true, to love one another, yep, serve God together, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but very, almost always people miss out um, Children. So Malachi 2, um, you know, why did God make the two one? Why did God make marriage? Because he desired a godly offspring. So children are part of the purpose of marriage. They're not an optional extra. They're not kind of if you fancy it, but you know, it's up to you. We're meant to have kids. And very obviously, until the 20th century, and even then, until the, frankly, the mid-20th century onwards, um, more or less nine months after you got married, you'd have a kid. Because there just was no widespread safe contraception you know, in ancient Israel or anywhere until very, 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 very recently. And so in our minds, because we're so culturally shaped, there's this big gap between sex and marriage out there in the world. You know, they don't have to go together. But also between marriage, sex and then kids. Now, I'm not saying you can't use contraception at all. Okay, that would be a Roman Catholic position. But I just wonder if we've pulled the two apart quite a lot. Sex and kids. Uh, it's, sex is about enjoyment and union. And, uh, yeah. and if a couple of times you want to have a kid, well, at your whim, when you decide to have one, go for it, maybe, if you want. Um, that is a very, very, very recent way of thinking, which would be an impossible way of thinking for all of God's people for thousands of years. And so it might just at least make a stop and question, is that a totally healthy attitude? So let's think a little bit about that, about kids and children. How would, uh, just around the tables, how would you describe attitudes in the UK towards having and raising children, <coughs> towards stay-at-home mums as we talk about them? And, and as a church, as Christians, what worldly attitudes might we have to w- watch out for in this area? Um, it's a very general discussion, basically. Have, have a crack at that. Okay. I wonder... Yeah. You might have talked about all sorts of things. I wonder if some of the things that came up, um, again, not necessarily within the church, just mean in, in, the, in the UK in general. Um, kids often seen as a pain, an interruption, uh, ruining a career, forcing you to have lower life standards, um, too hard work. Um, yeah. And they can just really easily be this attitude of what really matters is earning money. And particularly if you've been a successful type of person you know, through school, good GCCs, good A-levels, good university. And this whole mindset of what really matters is your career. That's valuable. And we might not ever articulate it like that, but basically, unless you're earning money, preferably in a kind of graduate job, then you've not really done that well. Um, kids, fine. Have a quick kid and then get rid of them as soon as possible and crack on with the career because that's what really matters. Again, I doubt anyone in the room would articulate it like that, but those attitudes are, are there in the world and can easily kind of creep in 
Um, so I would encourage you if, you, if you end up getting married, bearing, nurturing children, especially, not exclusively, but especially in that under five age group, those early years are so important. Um, and, and even the church, I do think there's a significant danger that we import the world's attitudes that children are an inconvenience to be delayed until we've had a chance to enjoy ourselves um, or seen the world or got used to being married or whatever it might be. Um, yeah. Uh, in the UK at the moment, roughly 80% of women will have children by the age of 45. Um, and that's a low figure. We're the third lowest in the world, at least on the stats that they made. So 80% of women by the age of 45 will have children, and that is low. Third lowest behind Spain and Austria. By age 30, 53% of women have had at least one child. 53%. But a generation ago, so kind of your parents' generation, or my parents' generation, that would be 82%. That's striking. Age 30, 53% now, it is 82% a generation above. We're delaying kids. The most common age for a, uh, to have a child in the UK at the moment is now 31 for a first child, whereas a generation ago it was 24. Um, average family size now is 1.89 children, the lowest on record in the UK. Okay, those are not healthy stats. Now, I know there are no bar rules about, you know, you've got to have three or five or seven or 11 or how many Kevin Young's got now. Um, but we ought to see them as positive things, filling the world, raising the next generation for God, and not buy into whatever. There's always something. Um, you know, don't have kids because it ruin your career. Don't have, don't have kids because the world's too full. That's quite a common one now, isn't it? You know, they're going to they're gonna ruin the planet. And I, I mean, just, there's, always, like, there's always another reason why you shouldn't have kids. There's going to be a world war. Don't have kids in the 70s because Russia's going to blow us up. Don't have, you know, whatever. There's always something. Um, some sort of doomsday Armageddon, don't have kids. How can you bring them into such a horrible world? Or, ah, whatever. Um, God has never revoked that command to families, go and fill the world. Okay, so don't let the world or the devil or anyone else give you some reason why, nah, kids, nah. Um, and that obviously is literally life-giving. Having kids is literally life-giving. Eve, life-giver. And, and much more significant, frankly, than working for KPMG or the NHS or local council, or whatever it might be. Um, and it, I mean, can you imagine a conversation that went something like this? Um, married couple, both graduates from top university, okay? They're Nottingham graduates, um, super bright, successful. Um, sit down with their non-Christian parents and say, look, I, um, I know this is, you know, back to our first child. I know this is going to sound really unfair, seem really unfair, maybe even sexist, but we've decided, um, you know, they're Jack and Jane, we've decided Jack's going to be the one who goes back to work. I know what you're thinking, poor Jack. Why is it that Jane gets to stay home and raise the kids and, and Jack has to go, go back to work? Isn't that unfair on him? Sexist against him? I know it's much harder to see the significance of him going and working at, you know, KPMG and whereas Jane gets to raise the next generation of kids and, and you're probably thinking, poor Jack, but he'll, he'll, he'll take the hit. You know, he loves Jane, he's willing to let her do that. No one has ever had that conversation. It's always the opposite. Why is that? Well, because we just so devalue raising kids and we so value sort of middle class, uni educated, all the rest of it, we so value work. Now, I know raising kids is hard and nurturing is hard. Um, I know between me and George who's got the harder job. George. Um, so that's not the point of the illustration. But just why do we not think like that? Why do we not think so positively about raising children? And so when, when, if you are raising girls, one of the things you want to be thinking is, am I raising them to be... Um, the, the kind of women 
the, who understand the joys, responsibilities, pressures of raising kids and running a home. Okay. Of course they, in cases, of course they also you're teaching them maths and history, like they <laughs> misunderstand me. But, but they're not the same. Boys and girls are not the same, and they don't have the same long-term trajectories and calling. So there should be some distinction in how we raise them. Two last spheres, church and work. Um, clearly lots of service in the church is appropriate for both sexes. said that earlier. Um, there are some things that are only male, elder, preaching. There are some things that are only female, Titus 2. Um, and we see women involved in tons of way in the New Testament church, beyond raising their own biological children. Okay. Delivering letters for Paul, teaching um, you know, um, Priscilla and Aquila, teach Barnabas, and uh, anyway, whatever, loads, evangelism, prayer, all sorts. Um, if you don't have children now, maybe... Uh, if at no point you, you have biological children, then the church is essentially your, your prime family in many ways, isn't it? And there is still loads of nurturing, life-giving to be done. It might be towards children in the congregation. It might be towards other w- women, younger women, friends, the lonely, the helpless. But that kind of orientation of, look, I, Eve was created to give life, to nurture life. So, okay, whether by my own choice or just providence, that, that biologically is not true for me. It doesn't mean that the orientation, the posture... It isn't there, or that you're less significant to God's mission for the church, or less, um, less a woman, less female. Uh, what about work? I've got far less to say. I probably something kind of paid work outside the home. Far less to say here, just because the barber's got far less to say. But let me just say a couple of things. Um, does all that I've said today mean that I think it's wrong for women to have paid jobs out there in the world? Just in case, <laughs> just in case it's not clear, no. Um, earning in and of itself or going to uni or whatever is definitely not a problem. The Proverbs 31 woman is bringing in uh, revenue. She's looking after the farm and all this sort of stuff. Um, Lydia is this merchant in, in Acts, Christian woman. Um, so don't mishear that, okay? Maybe you haven't got kids yet. Um, maybe your kids are now older. Maybe, whatever it may be, the, the idea of earning itself is not a problem. Until or unless... It is taking away from caring for, nurturing the, the children, okay, if you have children. That, that's when I think it can become or does become problematic. If you start putting your career above the children. Now, it's not for me to tell you how exactly to do that, okay? Someone teaches that how to nurture children. That'd be good. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's not for me to stand in front and tell you exactly how to do that, um, but I do think that on the whole, I know you can think of odd circumstances, but on the whole, uh, a married couple have children. Um, it ought to be, because of the postures we've seen, these orientations, it would be the, the, the husband who keeps going, the wife who stays at home in those early years to nurture, um, bring up, disciple the kids. Um, if you decide, as your kids get older, you're going to put them into a, into a school of some sort, Okay, that's for every family to decide for themselves. Um, but but you, can't, you can't delegate the nurturing, life-giving thing to other people. So you might decide to use a school or whatever it might be, um, but um, you don't want your kids bouncing from pillar to post because you've gone off to do your great career and they have to be picked up by someone on a one day, someone else on a Tuesday, banged off to this club on a Wednesday. And essentially, the home environment is not safe, secure, nurturing, all the rest of it. You do want to... I do think that you, want, you, you basically want the parents to be bringing up the kids. And again, if, if, if one of you is going to be, have to, because of work and the way our society is structured, if one of you is going to have to be out of the household, 
it's going to want to be dad, not, not mum, all things being equal. And I would just say too, I, I'm just going to keep hitting this note over the coming years, I'm sure. But the, the difference between how I was schooled, just normal local village school in Dorset, and how kids are schooled now, the culture versus church gap, I mean, they are just widening. So you, if you're a parent, I just want to plead with you to, to really work hard at discipling your children because school will be discipling them and they will be discipling them towards or away from Christ actively. Okay? Sexuality, gender, they're just the tip of the iceberg. The whole substructure beneath it and doing youth work for seven years in Duffield was just heartbreaking. And I look at some of those kids now, and, you know, God is kind and all the rest of it, but, you know, you, kids would come along to youth group for an hour and a half a week, and that is just not enough to counter um, whatever it is, like 35 hours a week of being taught the opposite. Um, and the difference is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So... Obviously, you can homeschool or send them to Christian school or whatever, fine, whatever. But if, if they're going into a secular environment, you just need to be really on the ball of being aware of what they're being taught and then unpicking it, working it through. Don't just ignore it and think it's all kind of neutral um, because that will not be the case. Um, and increasingly, it won't be the case. So you need, we need, as parents, we need to be front foot. Whatever is feeding our kids or whoever is feeding our kids, we need to be the dominant voices and, yeah, um, It'd be awful in 18 years' time to suddenly realise your kid's been totally secularised and you just never engage with it. Um, front foot, discipling, life-giving. All of which to say, at the end of everything, wouldn't it be good, big picture, if men could walk into church on a Sunday morning saying, how can I proactively look to provide, lead, protect today? Uh, women came in saying, look, how might I give life nurture today? 90% of what you do is going to be, doesn't matter whether you're a man or woman. But that posture, so I keep using the posture rather than rule, that posture of lead, protect, provide, give life, nurture, receive, I think is one that you see reflected from Genesis um, through to Revelation. I'm going to pray. You can come and get me questions after this. Father in heaven, um, as ever, we, we, just want to, we just want to do what we're told. Um, we want to understand your word rightly, not be swept by the currents of society, but um, uh, to live distinctive lives. So, Again, as ever, anything that is true, would, you, would it bear fruit in our lives? Anything that isn't, would it fall away? Bless us, we pray, and make us countercultural, a city on a hill. And we pray you bless the generations that come after us with the, with the gift of salvation. We entrust ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.